friends, I'm Kara Kay. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Asking for a Friend podcast. Each week, we are navigating challenging questions you have about yourself, the church, and the world. But don't worry, we know you're only asking for a friend. Today, we're answering the question, what's wrong with me, as we look at the topic of depression. So join us as we break free from the status quo and engage in conversations that matter. Welcome, everyone. We hope you are having a great week. It is Thursday, so we're almost to the weekend. Uh, Kara Kay, I want to start today, before we get into our heavy topic of depression, I want to see how your week's going and just talk about the little things. Okay, so I had a little thing that like saved my life this week, and I have to share it for any moms that might have little ones that they're potty training. Now, I have three girls, and then I have this boy that... Potty training is like a whole new world, and don't ask me how old he is because I'm pretty sure he's going to go to college in diapers. Um, <laughs> but I, a friend of mine, told me about this little like potty urinal that sticks on the wall. Have you seen these things? Yes, I have. I've thought about getting it. Okay, but my, you should. My husband said it was ridiculous. <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous too, but a friend of mine told me about it, and I said, okay. I mean, it was like $8 on Amazon. Yeah, it's cheap. It's so cheap. And so I was like, I'm going to try it. I got it. And he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And this is like every time we tell him to go to the bathroom, it's a huge fight. Uh-huh. And and so I also splurged and bought him a potty watch. Have you seen these things? No, but I need that. So I got him one that it looks like a little Fitbit. And uh-huh. it just has a timer. And it goes off and plays like twinkle, twinkle, little star or something like Uh And you can choose how often it goes off. And he thinks he's so cool because he has like a big kid watch. And because I think potty training a boy is probably going to be the end of me. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I'm. We're going to put those things in the show notes and I'm going to be like the first one to order them because (laughs) we are – We've been working on this for at least six months. Why are boys so challenging? I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. Okay, so what about you? What has been your little thing this week? So um, we have obviously five kids, as we've mentioned before. Obviously. No big deal. (laughs) Obviously. Well, our number four uh, is playing soccer for the first time. She's five, and she's watched all her older siblings play soccer, and she has had the best time doing it. And so we had a game Friday night, and the other team didn't show up. They just forgot, whatever. And uh, so that night, my husband was tucking her into bed, and she said, Daddy, why didn't we play a game? And he said, well, honey, the other team heard they were playing you and they got really scared. And so they, they didn't want to show up and lose. And, you know, we're thinking like, this is so, you know, just kind of cute and funny. And she looked at him with like the most serious expression. And she said, daddy, tell me the truth. And I just broke his heart because he he was like, I was trying to like build her up, but he's like, she sees right through that. We've always said she's very street smart. She's very perceptive. And um, it was a good lesson for me of that. I think we underestimate our kids sometimes. And you know, it's, it's fun to build their confidence and things, but also it's okay to like tell them the truth. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's, that's pretty cute. That's though. what she wanted. She's like, don't smoke. Don't butter don't, me up, man. Right. Don't blow smoke up my butt. Just that's tell me the right. truth. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. So yeah, that was our little thing. All right. We always love sharing our little things with you guys that maybe made or 
you know, make or break our week. And we would love to hear from you guys. You can always share the little things that are making and breaking your week over on social media with us. Have you ever considered planning a gathering? Whether it's a retreat, reunion, workshop, or celebration, gather your tribe and meet at Gathering Oaks. Tucked away just outside of Waco, Texas, Gathering Oaks offers 19 unique bedrooms plus two meeting spaces. On over 30 acres with a shady central courtyard and pool, it's a serene location to relax and stay. Whether you wanna catch up with old friends around a fire, spark the next big idea for your company, or celebrate a milestone, Gathering Oaks has everything you need to reconnect, retreat, and rejoice. For more information or to book your stay, go to gatheringoaksretreat.com. All right, friends, we want to start today's conversation about depression and answer the question, what is wrong with me? Uh, We want to start with some statistics, okay? So according to the CDC, one out of 10 women experience symptoms of depression. And I think it's interesting they say symptoms of depression and not depression, because I think it's much higher. This is this is That's my medical opinion. Me. Yeah, I we think are it's both much... medical professionals, so please listen <laughs> exactly. to us. Mm-hmm. All my WebMD training. Uh-huh. Um, it's I think it's much higher than that because I think so many women their depression goes undiagnosed. Yes, I would guess and, that too. Yeah, so they're just saying symptoms of depression, and then according to the Mayo Clinic, women are twice as likely as men to suffer from depression. Wow. And then I found I know which. I can, I can see why. Okay. I have a question. Do you think this has to do with women being oppressed and kind of the patriarchy society? And do you think that it has to do with that? I think that's part of it. You know, women, like you said, feeling oppressed. I know we talked in the last episode about Beth Moore yeah, and, you know, John MacArthur's comment about Beth Moore, you know, just women feeling like either in the church or the workplace or even in their community, in their homes, not feeling like they can completely live according to the calling they feel yes they feel called to yes. you know they um, they kind of hold themselves back a little bit and that's and then that, and then you end up living a very unfulfilled life yeah. I think that's part of it there's um, there's so many causes yes. that I've read about you know hormonal changes I think that is a big reason we I obviously agree. have a lot more hormonal ups and downs Mm -hmm. than men, Um, just life circumstances in general uh, that we go through, whether that's financial, whether Mm -hmm. that's, you know, grief or loss or sickness, Um, and then just trauma. I think we have a lot of, like, trauma that we have not dealt with. Right. Whether that's from childhood or past relationships or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Do you think that women have a tendency to put things on themselves more than men that they they carry that heavy load of yes needing to take care of everyone needing to make sure everything is okay and then that probably adds to it I know that men struggle a lot with the at least men that are married and supporting a family they struggle with that need to be the provider um Mm -hmm. but I think that women have so much pressure on them as well to kind of do everything a certain way and have it all done right and yes Definitely that perfection tendency. I think women struggle with a lot more. Well, and, and, you know, we even talk about the cliche mom guilt, but you don't really ever hear guys talking about dad guilt. Right. Like I had, I had to work late at the office. I have dad guilt, you know, I've never once heard that, but moms, I mean, you miss one PTA meeting and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst mom in the world. And even women that are not 
moms are not married, I, I feel like there's still this like stigma. Well, we have to work twice as hard. Oh, for sure. Yep. Twice as hard for half the results. Exactly. Um, some other causes of depression would be uh, cultural stressors, mm-hmm. which again, we talked about that la- yeah. in our last episode, episode three, um, cultural appropriation, where um, you know, you might feel oppressed because of your, your race, your ethnicity, mm-hmm. and then inherited traits. If you have someone in your family who deals with depression or anxiety, then you are more likely to develop that yourself. Yeah. And I have heard statistics. I don't know the exact numbers, um, but about women of color are more likely to suffer from depression, um, type, you know, mental illness type things mm-hmm. because of that, because of the you know, oppression that's been put on them. And then they have, and then double that with everything else they're expected to do, that that's just a heavy load to bear. So do you want to talk about some symptoms that we might see when it comes to depression? I know everyone is different, but there are some general symptoms that we deal with. Yeah. And I agree that depression looks different for everybody because I think we typically think, oh, a depressed person is the person that's going to lay on the couch all the time. Just lay in bed crying. Yes, lay in bed and cry. And that is what depression is. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that that's where the undiagnosed symptoms come in. So maybe like um, being extremely anxious or just that feeling of emptiness and hopelessness Mm -hmm. and, and even the guilt like you were talking about with, you know, maybe moms face that, but guilt of whatever, maybe you've messed up and you can't, you've struggled to get over whatever mistakes you've made or just feeling completely, you know, worthless and Mm -hmm. not able to, maybe you've lost a job and you feel like you can't contribute or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some other things that you think of? I think along those lines, being extremely irritable, um, prone to extreme anger or rage. Those can be symptoms of depression. Um, Loss of energy, obviously. Uh, Loss of interest in hobbies or activities. You know, just kind of pulling away from things that you once found joy in. And that can be relationships as well. You know, I think a lot of times we start isolating ourselves when we are depressed. I have a hard time, like, when I'm feeling that, you know, that weight on me. I have a hard time um, concentrating on what I'm working on. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like my mind kind of races and, and I think that we see that, um, those feelings of just because you're not taking care of yourself, um, because you struggle with sleep, you struggle with eating healthy. And so Mm -hmm. our bodies kind of start to almost break down a little bit. Um, and, and we don't feel like ourselves at all. Yeah, definitely sleeping too much or too little and then eating too much or eating too little, Um, and then like you said, your body starts shutting down. And so there are a lot of doctors that say they will have people come in with legitimate, um, complaints about, you know, this hurts, this aches, I don't feel well. And sometimes it's a result of depression. It's not that they have a specific illness. It's just, they're so depressed and their body's manifesting that. And then obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but, um, probably, uh, one end of this, this, the spectrum, the extreme end would be suicidal thoughts or attempts uh-huh. or suicide if yeah. they actually go through with it. So right. I know um, postpartum depression is a little bit different category, but still along those same lines, yeah. you know, there's, um, I think from what I've read and people I've talked to and what I've experienced, it's just a lot of, you know, crying more than usual, um, 
feeling angry, again, isolating yourself, which it's, it's so difficult because you have a new baby. So of course you're isolated and your hormones are going crazy. So of course you're crying, you know, so I think it's tough when you have a new baby to figure Mm -hmm. out, is this just my hormones getting back on track or am I depressed? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times it can be like overlooked by, because we hear about the baby blues and that, oh, it's Mm -hmm. okay to feel sad because your hormones are, are just out of whack. And sometimes you know, you can totally miss that you really are suffering from postpartum depression when you think that, oh, this is just normal or natural, especially if it's like a first time mom dealing with something like that. So what are some other symptoms you would say women that are going through postpartum depression might, might exhibit? Yeah. So I think feeling disconnected from your baby um, kind of that, that inability to bond, which I remember having a friend one time tell me, She's like, yeah, me and my little guy, we're just still getting to know each other. <laughs> and so I think, I thought that was such a cute way of yeah. putting that. I think there there is that where, you know, you're like, wow, this is a new person and I, I need to get to know you. But it's it's more extreme than that. It's yes. really feeling like I have no emotional attachment to right. you. Right. I have no desire to get to know you. And then worrying that you will hurt the baby mm-hmm. or hurt yourself. You yeah. know, those are... Also, I know we, I know we hate talking about this. We hate even thinking about it, but I really want this just to be, um, helpful for anyone if they're going through this yeah. and they're thinking, okay, like this is this not is the normal end. for me I to have these yeah. thoughts. And then like we kind of talked about the mom guilt, mom guilt, just feeling guilty that you're already not being a good mom and you're barely out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Which, and then I don't feel like that guilt ever goes away. It was just a, a constant battle. <laughs> Right, right. And so it's hard enough when you put that on top of dealing with postpartum depression. So I I know that you have struggled on and off with depression for years. Um, would you like to share your, a little bit of your story with us? Sure. Um, so mine started, I would say, after my first child was born with postpartum depression, but I didn't recognize it. I thought, you know, we had just moved to a new city. Um, and my child was about, I think four or five months old. And so I think I just felt like I'm just having trouble adjusting to life in a new town and, and I'm raising a baby. And so this is just hard and this is just the way it is. And then again, after my second child, I I felt the same way, just very, um, overwhelmed and, kind of that hopeless feeling of like, I can't believe this is all there is to life. And, but again, I tried to blame it on, I'm still new here. I haven't found my people yet and I'm just going to push through. And then it wasn't until after my third child was born. I think I'm a very slow learner (laughs) that, you know, I remember telling my husband, I'm either crying or yelling all the time, all day. And so that's when I really was like, okay, I've got to do something about this. And I remember thinking, I don't like, I don't want to call a doctor. I don't want to have to go to an appointment because being the overachiever that I am, it felt very much like I was a failure. Um, but I called my doctor and this is just the grace of God. The doctor said, I don't make you come in for an appointment. I don't make you fill out a questionnaire. If you feel like there's something wrong, then there's gotta be something wrong. So yeah. So he just called in medication for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That was huge. And so, yeah, then I think that really helped. Um, I mean, it wasn't overnight, but it was definitely probably faster than I thought it would be. And it wasn't until then. So around then my kids were probably close to one, three and five. And then fast forward when my kids were about five, seven and nine years old, I got off medication. I felt like, okay, I've been on this for way too long. I can do this. I don't need this. I don't struggle with depression anymore. 
And then that year was super stressful. Um, we had some financial issues that were stressful and that's a huge trigger for me. I know it is for a lot of women. They crave that financial stability and security. And that's just kind of one of my triggers that kind of sends me into a spiral. And so we had some financial issues that year. Um, I wasn't where I wanted to be in my writing career. And so I felt like a failure. And then we started fostering our daughter who, you know, we fostered and adopted two kids. So she was the first one. And I think it was just the stress of foster care, all the paperwork and the appointments and, um, just the emotional stress of, is she going to be with us for a month or a year or forever? Like we don't know. And so that was stressful. I remember adjusting to four kids, which, you know, it was, that threw me for a loop. (laughs) And then I also just felt really lonely because all my friends, you know, they're, kids were all my older kids ages and I felt like their life kept moving forward and I had just taken a huge step back. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was just, it was this combination of all these things and I just spiraled. I started isolating myself. I put up a wall between my husband and I, um, I lost a ton of weight. I barely ate, I barely slept. Um, and I really just listened to this tape recorder of lies from the enemy running through my head. And then it wasn't until, um, gosh, I guess it was in that first year of fostering our daughter. I remember just, I was at a Bible study with some of my dearest friends and, um, I remember them kind of confronting me on everything that was going on. And, and I, and I remember saying, I don't know what you want me to do. And I was like, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm trying to be a good wife. I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm trying to do this. And, and I remember when my friend said, that's the problem. We don't want you to do anything. We know you're great at doing. We want you just to be. Hmm. And that was like the scariest thing in the world for me. Because if I were to sit still and to just be and acknowledge everything that was going on, then I was going to have to feel some really difficult, painful feelings. And I'm an Enneagram three and we all know threes don't like to feel feelings. <laughs> we like to just plow through the hard stuff. And I didn't want to deal with all of it. Um, I remember at the time, I don't know if you've ever seen this, there was a meme of a woman laying face down in the middle of the road and you could see like the stripe from the road. And at the bottom it said, I'm fine. Huh. Wow. I know. I'm going to try and find it and put it in the show notes. But I remember thinking that's exactly how I That's feel. Yeah. Like I can't even function, but yet I'm very high, fu- a very high functioning mm-hmm. depressed person. And if anyone asks, I'm always saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. Life's I'm great. great. Yeah, this is great. We're doing great. So when my friends sort of, you know, confronted me and told me how worried they were and they were basically like, you can't keep going on like this. I think one of them was probably talking to my husband at the same time. And he convinced me to go to counseling with him, which again, felt super shameful because- yeah. I felt like I'm the one who's supposed to have it all together. I do marriage uh, mentoring. I teach marriage classes. I'm not supposed to be the one in counseling with my husband. Yes. But very reluctantly, I went. And that was just kind of the beginning of a very long road. You know, we went through counseling together. I went by myself. Um, My counselor finally, you know, confronted me with the fact that you really probably need to get back on medication. Mm-hmm. And again, I felt like such a failure because I thought, you know, when I was on it before, that was okay because that was postpartum depression. There was a reason for that. Yes. But this, there's no, there's no reason. There's no reason. 
yeah, it's just me. There's something wrong with me. So that was really, really humbling and difficult at the time. But fortunately, I have such a great husband who's like, hey, do what you got to do. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. It doesn't make you a failure, which is what I felt like. Yes. Um, but he was just super patient and super encouraging. And I ended up getting back on medication. And like I said, um, you know, counseling. Uh, my one friend, Meredith, she's so, she was so dear. She was so great for me at that time. She would text me or call me almost daily to check on me. Um, and it wasn't in an overbearing way. It was just, you know, I'm praying for you today. How can I pray for you today? How are you feeling today? You know, yeah. all those things. And um, just really held my hand through the, the whole thing. And um, What a great thing this, to have. Oh, my word. She was amazing. And then just you know, praying and spending a lot of time in the word to try to drown out the enemy's lies that he was trying to get me to believe. And so it was a really, really long journey, <laughs> I will yeah. say, but I'm in a, such a much better place now. And I'm grateful that I went through it at a different seasons because I feel like now I can empathize with people going through it at different seasons. Right. That's kind of my story, but I know you have your own story. I do. And it's interesting listening to yours because I hadn't heard your full story before. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so similar to mine. And it just reminds me that how often it is that women go through these things and feel like they're alone. Yes. And feel like they're the only one. Because there's so many times that I have felt like I am the only one that has gone through this. Mm -hmm. And I feel so lonely in that. And so yeah. – I just hope that anybody listening is reminded that you're not alone in your journey. Um, yeah. Mine was a similar circumstance. I had three kids in under three years. Um, oh, wow. So when my uh, my first two, I had my first two babies. Life was great. I was my happy, cheerful, usual self. Mm -hmm. And then I had this third baby. And I spiraled out of control. Mm -hmm. And... So I had a newborn, a one-year-old, and a two-year-old. Oh, gosh. And that was just enough to, like, do a person yeah, so in. so overwhelming. So overwhelming. And I am – I'm an Enneagram 1, so I am a <laughs> huge perfectionist. Yes. I want everything in its place. I want everything, you know, detailed and perfect. And so motherhood is a struggle for me anyways because I – put a lot of unhealthy expectations on myself and on my kids. And yeah, that's a conversation for another day. But um, so it was a real challenge for me in the beginning to realize that I had to kind of step out of what I thought motherhood was going to be. And I just started spiraling, spiraling out of control. And I was angry all the time mm -hmm. over nothing. And I didn't even realize what was happening to me. And there was a day um, and I share this story in my book, Mom Up, and um, there's a day that I took a sippy cup of juice and I threw it at the wall because I was so mad at my two-year-old for doing who knows what. Like right. she didn't put her shoes away right or something or to pick up her toys correctly. And she's two. Of course she's not going to. Um, she's almost 10 now and she still doesn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? seriously. And and so that – it was like that day I realized – oh my goodness, there is something wrong with me, but I didn't mm -hmm. want to admit it. And right. so I kind of walked in silence for a while and I told Brooke what was going on and sort of, you know, I wasn't even fully open with him at mm -hmm. the time because it was, it was just uncomfortable and it was 
frustrating and disappointing that I was not I couldn't be myself and Mm -hmm. I thought I had to be this this thing and and it's funny that you said that about like you were the one that was writing the books about um you know marriage Marriage. and counseling people I was the same thing I was writing I I had a blog for moms and I was encouraging moms how to thrive in motherhood and Mm -hmm. here I was not thriving at all and so but don't you think that's the enemy? Yes. I mean, to, yeah, just to Absolutely. get us, try to discredit what yes. we're trying to do for the kingdom. Yes, so yeah. much. Um, and so I ended up going on medication and a lot of medication. I was on like three different types of medication at one point during that. It was about a year that was just torture. And I remember there were there were nights that I would just lay in bed and I was hallucinating and wow. just it was just so frustrating, you know, and I would just be begging God to heal me from this and to take this away from me. And I learned a lot through that season. And I eventually was able to go off of the medication. And I felt a little more normal until this past year, when I Mm -hmm. kind of broke again. And, Mm -hmm. and it was the same situation, like when it was postpartum, anxiety and depression and it was labeled as a postpartum thing Mm -hmm. I felt like it had it was okay because it had a a label on it but it right but when my kids were older and I should have been healthy and my hormones should be leveled out and all of those things when I started going through depression again then I felt really shameful yeah and I didn't talk about it to anyone for quite a while that I was feeling this way until it got real bad and yeah. I finally told my husband and, and then I got back on medication, but I really struggled with that because I felt shameful that I should be able to handle this. I should be able to manage it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, from the outside, my life is great. And, right. and so why there's nothing I should be upset about. There's nothing I should be struggling with. And so that's, you know, that's kind of been my experience of, it's just been a challenge to realize that I can't hold it together all the time and that's okay. And it's okay to get help because that has been the biggest struggle for me is to realize that I need to ask for help and I can't do it all on my own. Neither of our personality types like to ask for help or admit we can't do something or admit there's something wrong. (laughs) Yeah. We like to have it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And depression doesn't let you do that. No, it doesn't. The harder you try, the worse you feel. I feel like generations ago, there was the stigma around depression and mental health in general, mm-hmm. um, you know, where people, it was this horrible negative thing. Do yes. you think that that still exists? How do you, how do you see um, mental health existing in our world today? So I think it's definitely better than it was, you know, for our mother's generation and especially our grandmother's generation. Yeah. But I do think we still have work to do and. Because you and I wouldn't feel so ashamed yes. like if it's there a wasn't work to thing. be done. Yeah. yeah. Like we feel like we have failed. Right. Because we're dealing with this. So there's definitely still a stigma um, around it and some patterns around it that, that we have to change. Yeah, and yeah. I think that happens through conversations like this. Along those same lines, how do you think the church is responding to the issue of depression today? I don't think it has been great. Um but I have seen changes. I've yes. seen some churches step up and say, 
we're going to have this open conversation. We're going to, you know, talk about this because I think that some churches are still stuck in this um, kind of legalistic, follow this list of rules. You know, if you do all these things, then you'll be healthy and great. And, and so I think that there's kind of two different avenues. There's the church, the churches that are open and willing to have the conversations. Mm -hmm. And then there's this sector of the church that's still kind of stuck in this maybe old way of thinking of that that's a bad, Mm -hmm. that it's a bad thing that maybe, you know, our parents grew up with, our grandparents grew up with that we can't talk about this because that if you are struggling with depression, you obviously are not doing something right. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely have seen, you know, a shift, but I think we still have a long way to go. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, people are afraid of what their local church will think of them. You know, am I, is there something, is there something blocking my uh, relationship with God? You know, is there, am I not spending enough time in the word? Am I not praying enough? Am I living in sin? You know, I think that's where we, we worry the judgment will come in that someone will judge our spiritual lives. Yes. Um, And I think that's where the church needs to do a better job of reassuring people like, Hey, we get, this is a mental illness. It's, um, you know, it's, it's again, like going back to you and I, like we are, we have certain high standards for ourselves. and, And I think the church needs to come alongside people and say, it has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done, right? it's just something that, that needs to be addressed. And I remember thinking, um, I feel like the Lord was telling me after I had my third child and, and I, my husband was suggesting that maybe I'd talk to my doctor about medication. And I remember thinking, um, or I felt like the Lord saying to me, Elizabeth, there is no shame in being depressed. The shame is in knowing there's help out there and you refusing to get that help. I remember clearly hearing God tell me that. And so I've always clung to that of there's so much help out there, but is the church giving us permission or even encouraging us to Mm -hmm. seek that help? I don't, I don't know. Interesting. And I feel like too, in churches, you know, we are starting to do a better job um, with programs like Celebrate Recovery, you know, of addressing addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know Celebrate Recovery can be for people who are depressed as well, but I feel like the majority of the people who I know who've gone to celebrate recovery, it's been more addiction based, but we need more programs like that for depression and and anxiety and, you know, OCD and and these mental illnesses because they are so prevalent in our culture. Yeah. Yeah, they are. What do you think somebody should do if they are feeling depressed? Wow. Um, yeah, I try to think like, what would I tell myself, you know, five, five years ago? I think what we've said, which is realize it's nothing you're doing or not doing that Mm. there's some sort of chemical imbalance or hormonal imbalance. You're dealing with some sort of trauma that your mind and body just cannot process. I mean, there's, there's so many different reasons why you could be struggling with depression at that particular season. Um, but it's not that you're living in sin or you're not trying hard enough or, you know, something like that, just reassuring them, um, that it's not their fault and, and that there are ways, um, to address it. And sometimes that doesn't always mean medication. Sometimes it's just counseling. Um, sometimes it's changing certain aspects of your life, certain circumstances or, uh, relationships, things like that. So I don't want people to think that medication is the end all be all. It's the only treatment, but I also don't want them to fear it or, um, feel like they're a failure if they have to get on it. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, Because I think that there's a lot that medication can do for us. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I know a lot of people that just by cutting out something that's extremely stressful has helped them because maybe it's a certain circumstance that is um, leading you down this path of depression. Um, You know, for me, a lot of things that trigger my feelings of stress of stress or anxiety are my kids. I can't yeah. get rid of them. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to. I sure. feel like I should say that. I love some them dearly. Da- some days we do, but. Some days I want to pass them along to <laughs> um, just hang out with their dad for a few hours, which yeah. I did today, and it was great. Oh, um, good for you. But, you know, I think that, like you said, I think there's things that we can do if we are feeling depressed that can help. Um, and it doesn't have to be immediately running to the doctor and asking for medicine if you know just really whatever you feel comfortable with I think just asking for help from anyone I love how you talked about that you had people in place that supported you and helped you and checked on you yeah and I'll say I was not super receptive to their help (laughs) many of us are no and yet they kept coming back. They, you know, they kept checking on me. They kept loving on me and praying for me. And I mean, they really were just amazing and such a great example to me of the friend that I need to be. But I will say I did not accept their help willingly because again, I was just very prideful and just felt like such a failure and, and so ashamed. So how do you think we can change this stigma? Because like we're saying, it's, it's getting better in the church and mm-hmm. in our culture, but it's still there. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't feel so ashamed and and like failures. And I know we're not the only ones who feel this way. Absolutely. Um, I think one thing that we can do is really listen to other people, Mm -hmm. listen to their stories um, and not just put a label on them. I think there has been, you know, a cultural thing, the systematic thing that happens when, you know, maybe it's people that are stuck in the cycle of poverty and, you know, I think a lot of those things can lead to depression. And I think people will label that and say, oh, well, they're in this situation. They're not trying. They can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so they have mental health issues. Right. Um, But maybe they just need to somebody to hear their story and to Mm -hmm. come alongside them and help in some way. And we can't just stick those labels on somebody of, oh, well, they're depressed and assume that they are a certain thing. Or assume that it's never going to get better. So yes. I'm just not even going to help. Or I'm not going to get involved because that's just the way it is for that's them. That's just the way it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I think we can also call someone out if they are, you know, adding to the stigma. Yeah. And that's not always easy. Do you struggle with this? You know, I feel like I I see the stigma more on social media than I have yeah. in my real life. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because I know more, I know so many women who have struggled with this and I'll say just kind of piggybacking another way to overcome the stigma is to share your story. And yeah. I have found the more times I share my story, women say, that's my story too. Kind of like right. you did. Yes. And I remember telling a friend one time, I said, I'm going to form a club and it's going to be called moms on meds because oh, I, let's do it. <laughs> I, let's do it. And, and it's even like, M-O-M, Moms on Meds. There you go. So it fits. But I said, I know so many women who are struggling with this, and they won't ever talk about it until I bring it up first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in in like my day-to-day life, I don't encounter the stigma 
so much mm, as I yeah. sort of see people's comments on social media. Right. And I'm not brave enough to get involved Me in those <laughs> because I'm like, I just don't, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with that. I could be, I could be pulled into that rabbit trail forever. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of watch it from afar. I think something else that we could do to change the stigma is to just really cultivate these conversations. Um, yeah. And like you said, to share your story because then other people are usually are willing to step up and say, oh my goodness, me too. Yeah. Um, I shared recently, I opened up about my recent battle with depression and anxiety and on social media, which was so hard for me because I want people to think that I have it all together. I don't yeah. know why, but I just feel that need and there were so many people that said, oh, wow. And I mean, text messages from from real life friends that reached right. out to me and said, that meant so much to me that you shared that. Here's my story. And then we can now have conversations. And now yeah. they check on me and I can check on them. I remember that post that you did. And I remember thinking, wow, she is so courageous. Oh, that was the scariest day of my life. I bet. I bet. <laughs> And it's funny that you said moms on meds because I posted that picture. I posted a picture on social media just of me holding a pill uh-huh. and talked about going on medication. And on I, I pushed it on my Facebook page um, as well. And I got all these responses of other women taking the same picture wow. and said, me too, me too, me too. And that oh, really awesome. so stood powerful. out to me like th- because that was the hardest thing for me in this was going on medication because I felt like – I was failing and I couldn't do it myself. And so just to hear and have that conversation with other women of it's okay that you're struggling. You're not the only one and we can overcome this and, you know, we can maybe find healing from this and we can walk through this together and just the conversations are so great. Yeah. I would say, you know, you just said uh, cultivating conversations, like whether you're at dinner with friends or with your spouse, but I would say too, like talk to your mom or your grandmother, because I guarantee you, many of us have moms and grandmothers who have suffered in silence because in their generation, number one, you didn't have conversations like this. Yeah. Yeah. There were no podcasts. People were just not as um, authentic or vulnerable. And um, I guarantee you, there's so many of them who have dealt with it that I think if you go first, they will they will open up and share their story too. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And then I would also say too, like get your church involved. If this is something you've struggled with, you know, go to your leadership and say, hey, I really want to start a support group for women who have suffered from depression. And yeah. I mean, they might say no, but you know, uh, at least you but try. Do it anyways. Do it I mean, anyways. It doesn't you have to go through your church. Yeah, just, you can do it in your home. Yeah, just support people. That's yeah. a great thing to do. Yeah, and I think we can um, we can also help by asking questions and really checking on our people. Yeah, because um, I think about and last week I shared about um, the video of Meghan Markle. Yeah, and how the video of her just was so striking to me in this type of thing because I look at her and I think that is a woman going through something really hard mm-hmm. and I don't even know her you right. know and I'm just watching a video of her and she looks like she's about to break down crying oh. and I'm thinking she's going through something and no one is asking her if she's okay because she is a strong woman 
she's a leader, you know, she's in this position of power. And how often do we not ask our strong friends Mm -hmm. if they're okay? Yeah. Because there we I know we all have those women in our lives that are the strong ones that Mm -hmm. hold it together and we think that they're okay and think that everything is great. And then we always have the women in our lives that are willing to tell us everything and tell us how hard everything is. And sure. so we have a tendency to check on the ones that are more open, right. but we need to check on the people that are strong and that are holding it together because I think a lot of times they aren't holding it together as much as we like to think. Right. I absolutely agree. So what do you uh, what do you think someone should do if they have a friend who they think might be depressed? Um, I think the example you gave of your friend is – the perfect example mm-hmm. of just walking alongside someone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I just finished studying the book of Job, mm-hmm. um, which I haven't studied in years. And so studying this after going through a really hard season was really eye-opening to me because mm-hmm. Job has these three friends that at first, you know, he's he has like everything taken away from him. Yeah. And at first, his friends come and sit with him, mm-hmm. and he's just suffering. And they sit there for a, for a little while, and then they have to start speaking up and telling him all these things he's done wrong and yeah. how terrible, you know, he's obviously sinned. He's obviously, you know, has some stuff going on and that he needs to repent, you know, all this stuff. And it really stood out to me that at first, they came and sat with him mm-hmm. right there in the midst of his misery And all the hard stuff, they just sat there with him in silence and didn't do anything. And I think we can learn a lot right there from them about how to walk through a hard thing with a friend. We can see a what not to do as they kind of ripped into him for like 30 chapters (laughs) of the book. And then we can see what a great example to just sit in it with a friend, check on them do something, you know, that's actually helpful and not adding to the pain. Yeah. With no checking on them with no expectation or judgment, just with compassion and love and and true concern. I think it's hard when we've never gone through it before. Mm -hmm. It's harder for us to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe you're somebody who's never struggled with mental health. Uh, My husband hasn't. And so it's kind of challenging, I'm sure, for him to walk through tough seasons with me because Mm -hmm. he doesn't know. Right. You know, he can't fully understand what I'm going through because Mm -hmm. he's never had those, those thoughts, those feelings, but yet he sits with me and Mm -hmm. he's willing to go get me an ice cream if I need it and willing to, you know, just to have those people that will sit and be in it with you and... Yeah. With no expectations. Yeah. We all need those people. Yeah, we do. What do you think someone should do if they think they might be depressed? Oh, that's hard. It is. I know. It's really hard because I, I want to say, go get asked for help, but I know mm-hmm. how hard that is. Right. So I would say just kind of take your time mm-hmm. and do what feels best for you. Yeah. Um, because for me, it's it takes a while when I'm struggling with it, and I'm not real open with having those conversations. Um, so I would say just find that one person, whether it's a spouse, yes. a sister, a best friend, you know, find that one person that mm-hmm. you can say, "Hey, I'm struggling," mm-hmm. and and just lean on them and let them 
help you and yeah. whatever that means. Maybe they need to call the doctor for you and, and, yeah. and, and make the appointment or, you know, because that's a hard step to take of yeah. being able to step out and say, I'm struggling and I don't even know how to put it into words. Right. Yeah. No, I love that you said find one person. That was something I was going to say, but my husband is the one that had to make the call to get me to go to counseling um, like about five years ago, because I was just so prideful and so Mm -hmm. ashamed. Um, so yeah, if you just need someone to make that call for you, that's okay. It's, it's a step. It's a step. Absolutely. Okay. I know we are running out of time, but I think our heart behind this conversation around depression is just, we don't want anyone suffering for no reason because there is so much help out there. Like we've talked about, whether it's through counseling or medication or a support group or, um, you know, just changing your circumstances. So many options out there. And I think we want people to know that, that there are options. We want people to know if you feel like you're depressed, that you are not alone. I mean, you might not know anyone in your real life who has dealt with it, but at least now, you know, two people, you know, me and Kara Kay. That's right. We've, yeah, we've dealt with it. We're here for you. Um, that's right. And so, yeah, just wanting people to know they're not alone and, um, just to be kind to yourself and remind yourself that it's not, it's not anything you have done or not done, that this is just something that is now in your path that, that you have to deal with. Any last thoughts from you? I think that's great. You nailed it. Oh, well, it was a good discussion. I <laughs> thank was. you so much for being vulnerable, Kara Kay. Yeah, I know you it's, too. it's been really difficult, but I, my prayer is that women will be blessed through this conversation yes. and find hope and healing for themselves. Spoonful of Faith is a creative shop and design studio by illustrator Gina Holiday. God showed up in a beautiful way, merging Gina's love of marketing with her passion for art and creativity. Her studio focuses on creating thoughtfully illustrated pieces for small businesses and brands. Additionally, Spoonful of Faith is passionate about empowering creative women and offers support through an online community called Mother Creative as well as a newly launched creative shop of faith-centered apparel, stationery, and artwork for your home. You can save 15% off this week by using code ASKINGPOD15 when you shop at spoonfuloffaith.com. All right, guys, we love to wrap up our episodes here with some resources that are helping us rethink the world around us. So Elizabeth, I'd love to hear something that's helping you rethink yourself, the church, or the world. So I listened to an Audible original this week, and it was called My Lost Family. Have you heard of that? No. So it's, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's based on a documentary. It's about this guy who he's basically interviewing his mom and then a bunch of family members, but before he was born, his mom had two children with a, with a man, and the man took those children to the park one day, and I think they were like one in three, and he never came back. And these children resurfaced 40 years later. Wow. Um, yeah, and so it's a pretty powerful story. But what struck me in light of our conversation about depression today is she talks about how she went into deep, deep depression after she eventually she got remarried and she had more kids. And after she had that next child that she just sunk into a deep, dark depression Mm. and nobody could figure out why. And her son says, 
did nobody connect the dots of she had two children, you had two children taken from you. Now you've had another child. Maybe this is triggering something. And she said, no, we, we didn't talk about it back then. We didn't, we didn't look at it the way you look at it today. Wow. And yeah. And it just, Oh, it made me grieve for her that she suffered for so long. I mean, she was institutionalized because of her depression. They, they were talking Mm. about shock therapy and her, her husband fortunately said, no, we're not going to do that. But it was a really difficult road for her just trying to process and grieve losing these two children. And um, it was just interesting in light of our conversation today, but it's, it's a great, it's, um, audible originals. And so it's free this month. I think they give you choices and you can pick two free ones. So if you have audible originals, yeah, you should listen to it. It's really good. And it's not super long. What about you? What are you reading or watching or listening to this week? Um, Well, actually, I want to share a book that I read back when I was in a really tough season. Um, So I read this a few months ago. um, So it's not necessarily something I'm reading right now. But um, it's a book from Jennifer Dukes Lee. Um, It's called It's All Under Control, A Journey of Letting Go, Hanging On, and Finding a Peace You Almost Forgot Was Possible. So if you struggle with being maybe a type A person or feeling the need for control, this is a great book for you. Um, I read this in the midst of really struggling with um, depression, anxiety, OCD, some, a myriad of things that I was battling with. And I, you know, as I said, I'm an Enneagram one, I'm a perfectionist. And so I struggle a lot with feeling like I need to be in control of everything. And I loved this book. It really broke down um, some different areas of control and how to just find peace in the midst of all of that. And there's also a Bible study that goes along with the book. I haven't gotten that, but I would love to go through the study as well. But the book was great. And we'll share these resources. Yeah. Yes. That sounds like a resource many of us. Uh, Yes, I agree. (laughs) It was great. So. And we love hearing resources that are helping you guys rethink yourself, the church, and the world. And each week on social media, you can go and share any resources that is really helping reframe your thinking. So make sure you join us next week as we chat about mentoring and discipleship and answer the question, do I really need a mentor? And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes so more people can find us and help us work through these important issues that affect us all. We would love to connect with you guys on Facebook and Instagram. We are at The Asking Pod. And now each week we post new questions and something that we are discussing on the podcast. So we would love to have your input on these questions that we're asking. And as always, you can connect with each of us on Instagram. I am at karak.james and Elizabeth is at Elizabeth Oates underscore. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend. <laughs>